Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the We Don't Know Sports podcast. And Chad the Mark is flying solo here for the most part. It's Super Bowl week, but because of circumstances beyond our control, some of us had to be out of the area here for the middle part of the week. So we really just have myself for about five minutes running my mouth, but we got a great interview with a gentleman named Jeff Criswell coming up. Jeff Criswell uh, stopped by last week, spent a lot of time talking about his career with us and the Super Bowl coming up. Uh, He is a former Kansas City Chief, along with being a New York Jet. So we got some interesting insight on kind of his road to the you know, eventual future of being a professional football player, along with taking in some some thoughts and and takes on what he thinks going to happen in the Super Bowl. So all that being said, I can tell you straight up, it's hard for me to even think about the Super Bowl right now because if you're listening to this, and, and I'm not going to go on a tangent or anything because I feel like the media has been just the talking heads ad nauseum to a, to a fault on the tragedy that befelled uh, the world of basketball on Sunday, and that was the passing of Kobe Bryant. Now, I think the three of us that do this podcast, we, we probably put Kobe Bryant in the top five or more probably accurately the top three. You know, for, for me personally, I kind of go back and forth between him and LeBron being two. I think we all have Jordan number one here. And, and look, that's the fun thing about debates. They're, they're just that. They're debates. Um, but Kobe, uh, you know, I think with that drive, that, that Mamba mentality that you're hearing so much about right now is kind of what gives him a slight edge just because of his willingness to always improve and become better. Now, I know – there's a lot of conversations going on out there. I just want to address one thing. You know, we talked a lot about Kobe and his passing and the impact it had and, you know, a couple of things. I, I, I didn't appreciate Kobe at the time as much early in his career, but as he grew and matured as a player, the respect and, and admiration definitely grew, especially when he, you know, was able to win some titles without Shaq. I think that got the monkey off his back uh, as far as his career goes. And then just to, to see him transition, there was probably not anybody more ready for life after basketball than Kobe Bryant. I mean, just uh, he, he decided, I've, I've conquered one thing, time to go conquer some other things. And in the few years that he was away from basketball, he had already accomplished miraculous things. So Kobe – you know, pay your respects. And I understand there was other families and and lives lost in the accident, but you know, in the sports world, you know, we don't know them, you know, but we, we know Kobe, you know, and I I know it's a, it's an odd thing to say, because do we really know anybody? No, of course not. But he had an impact on our lives. We, we saw him, I've seen him his whole life. I saw him more in the NBA than anybody saw him outside the NBA. He spent more of his career playing basketball in front of us than living his life away from it, which is remarkable. So for me to sit there and, and tell you, I know him, you know, I, I know of him. He impacted us. Uh, you know, we got to see that drive, that work ethic, the highs and the lowest of lows. Like we, we were there for all that. So when you, you sit back and you see the life of someone who had the cultural significance and impact he did, uh, it makes you take a step back for a second. And like people said, you know, it makes you a little closer to your loved ones. Hopefully you, you pulled them tight, you gave them a hug and a kiss, and, and you realize how fragile and precious life is. And I guess they say only the good die young. Uh, and and that was the situation here. And you definitely feel for the rest of the Bryant family, uh, as obviously one of his daughters was involved in the crash. And then the family's also involved. But, you know, as you see the the basketball community, 
the world kind of come out and show their support for Kobe Bryant and, and the family is is definitely a great thing to see. Now, the one thing I will say is I, I think people need to calm down and just you know respect the legacy of Kobe Bryant. Uh, people are calling to change the the logo. They're calling to you know, retire his number through every organization. And I, I think that's a little much, you know, I, I think what's happening is people are grieving and they're emotional in their own way. And if you weren't, if you weren't campaigning for this, you know, before, I, I don't think you should really be campaigning for it now. And I, I'm not telling you that Kobe Bryant shouldn't be the logo. You know, there's a debate for that. I just don't think now is the time to have that conversation. Let's celebrate his life and, and memorialize what he was able to accomplish on the, on the and kind of go from there. You know, same thing. I I think the Boston Celtics should not retire number 24. Now the active players who are giving up that number. Yeah, absolutely. That that's, that's your decision. You're wearing that number. You're affected by that in your own way. If you want to give up number eight or number 24, because you don't want to wear anymore. Absolutely. But for an organization to come and do that. and, And I don't know if there's been any other, you know, noteworthy players to wear number 24 or number eight that pop into, to mind right away. But, you know, the organizations would be doing a disservice to a lot of their history if they, they kind of blindly do that. Um, as, as great as Kobe Bryant is, the cultural impact is not that of a Jackie Robinson who, you know, number 42 was retired, albeit far too late. Uh, they did, they did that uh, almost half a century after, you know, he had played baseball, but they retired 42. And, you know, you, you look at a similar situation with Roberto Clemente and what happened with him in baseball. But these are guys that, you know, meant a lot more to probably society overall and the impact they had on progressing thing forward, not taking anything away from Kobe Bryant. He's a hell of a ball player. He's an icon, a, a absolute iconic figure in the world of basketball and should be remembered as such. But I, I'm I'm not wanting to have emotional historical changes until things kind of calm down a little bit. So I just ask everybody, let's let's celebrate right now. Celebrate the life and legacy. Mourn for the families involved. And and Tom will, you know, kind of dictate on the proper ways to you know, kind of memorialize uh, Kobe Bryant. Uh, I'll be damn sure there's going to be a statue in front of Staples Center, as there should be. He played for the Lakers his entire career. The The other thing I'd like to throw out there is, you know, if, if, I, if I was in control of everything, he would be the only person inducted into the Hall of Fame this year. Uh, I like how they already made a decision not to even have a vote on it, but I would probably go a step further, and I, I would ask – I would go ask Tim Duncan. I would go ask Kevin Garnett. And if you think Chris Bosh is getting in, you can ask him too. I would ask those guys if they wouldn't mind if we remove them from the ballot this year for two reasons. One, I think it's a, a really appropriate way to memorialize Kobe Bryant by having him being the sole inductee into the Hall of Fame. Two, you can take those guys off the ballot. So next year when they're on the ballot, they could still be first ballot Hall of Famers technically. And then lastly, it doesn't put those guys in a situation where they got to share the stage with the the tragedy that that befell Kobe Bryant so quickly because this is all happening this year. You know, so let's let's have that weekend to celebrate his enshrinement as, as a Hall of Famer and let it stand alone and instead of, you know, having, you know, Tim Duncan and Kevin Garnett forever remember that they had to go in the same year and maybe that's an honor to them that they went in with Kobe Bryant. You know, maybe that's the way, you know, they're looking at it. I'm not, that's why I would ask. But my point is, 
you could let that weekend be all about Kobe Bryant and in the history of annals of, of basketball, you can sit back and look and say 2020 was the year that Kobe Bryant went to the Hall of Fame by himself. It was a standalone year. So when people look back 15, 20, 30 years from now, who was inducted into the Hall of Fame and they pull up the year 2020, it only has one name on it. I think it's a beautiful thing, but I may be way off. Y'all can hate me if you want for that. I'm just putting it out there. Maybe somebody can hear it and try it out, but I think that would be an ultimate way to honor him, and it would also give Garnett and Duncan a, a fair stage so we can recognize their careers in their own right and, and let that glory for that weekend really just go for Kobe Bryant and the family. Well, the big game is here. It is time for the Super Bowl. And I'll be honest with you, because of what we just talked about with the, the Kobe Bryant news and, and some other things going on, it's been kind of a quiet Super Bowl week. Uh, I know the Chiefs are getting a little cocky. And, you know, we, we talked a lot about it last week. And, and we, had to, we had to scrap the audio because yours truly had way too much to drink. Uh, where I was out of town, we tried to cram two shows into one. By the time we got to the second show, it was out of control. So uh, I'm saving you guys the embarrassment of having to listen to any of that. But now you have to just humor me and hear me talk by myself because it was it was uh, really a, a conversation about what's going to happen in the Super Bowl. And honestly, I don't know which way it's going to go. I, I think universally, you know, the three of us are kind of siding with the Chiefs. We just feel like the better quarterback might be able to get it done. I, but I wouldn't I wouldn't bet on this money if I had to. I, I wouldn't bet money on this game if I had to because. I think it can go any which way. You know, you you could have the 49ers win by two or three scores. You could have the Chiefs score 51 points. You could have it be a 17-14 game. Like there are no way that anybody could accurately pick exactly how this game's going to go. Now people are going to get lucky and, and whatnot, but like there's no like I I've not had a feeling coming into a game like this in a while where it's just like anything can happen and I'm not going to be surprised. Uh, that being said, I, I think the the defense for the 49ers are going to definitely slow down the Chiefs. I think the Chiefs win. Uh, I think they probably win by like seven or ten points, something like that. And I think because of the unpredictability of the game is why the spread is what it is, where it's pretty much just a pick them. It's a one-and-a-half-point spread in favor of the Chiefs. So, I, you know, if you like the the Niners on the money line, you know, take them. That's not a bad pick. But I think it'll be an exciting game. Uh, if you like the color red, enjoy it because you're going to see it all week long. Now, the the bigger thing for me is I just want to see Andy Reid get that Super Bowl ring. I feel like he is one of the best coaches that I've been able to observe in my lifetime. He doesn't have that title. Let him bring one uh, to Kansas City who who does not have a title. They played in the first two Super Bowls. They, they don't have the, the Lombardi trophy. All they have are Lamar Hunt trophies. So let, let's go ahead and get that done. But the 49ers, uh, you know, they're they're definitely a team uh, to worry about. The question is, can they, you know, really get to Patrick Mahomes and not let him run the way he did last last game in the AFC Championship game? And then the other aspect is, can the Chiefs defense do anything to stop that 49ers run attack? Like, people are ripping on Jimmy G right now saying, well, he doesn't even throw it 10 times a game and they win. Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's how you know Kyle Shanahan learned from not giving up a 28-3 to lead against, you know, another team in a Super Bowl. So you find these things and you get better. And, and you know what? If the run game's working, you stick to it. And that's exactly what they did. So, I, you know, I'm sure you guys are exhausted with Super 
Super Bowl conversations and whatnot. You know, it's going to be a great game. We'll have more to talk about next week because we can actually break down what happened into the game and we can talk about legacies going forward. Who who was the Super Bowl MVP? You know, how did how did they, you know, break out of their shell or or was it Mahomes? And that's just what we expect. You know, there there's a lot of things that can happen. Uh we also have uh, a gentleman that'll uh, be down to the Super Bowl. He'll be on the show next week, so we're excited to talk to him. And you know, we'll, I'm almost more interested to hear more about you know who he got to interview and talk to. And I, I've seen him with uh, a who's who of list uh, following him on social media. So can't wait to have that conversation. Uh, but in the meantime, we're gonna got, we're gonna leave you guys with the conversation with Jeff Criswell. Jeff uh, Jeff loves to talk, man. He he's got a lot to say. It's just kind of an interesting story uh, how he came up into the league. He played offense of line for a long time uh and it's funny to hear him talk about uh who, who the hardest person he ever had to guard was and uh yeah he was on a tv commercial for uh playing football i, I remember that and I, I think he's uh he's somewhat proud but slightly uh, embarrassed about being exposed uh guarding this person but you know he uh grew over his career and he ended up uh, wrapping up with the chiefs uh so we'll get to hear his talks on the super bowl a little bit and what he thinks uh, but Jeff Criswell, uh, former NFL offensive lineman, 12-year veteran, pleasure to have on the show. Here's the interview. All right, ladies and gentlemen, joining us now is a big-time NFL veteran. He played in the league for 12 seasons. He went to the world-famous Graceland University. He is from <laughs> Iowa, where offensive linemen are grown like corn, and he has three career fumble recoveries that I was able to count. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Mr. Jeff Criswell to the show. Jeff, how you doing, sir? Hey, I'm doing really good, guys. I'm having uh, uh, having a good time out here with my Chiefs being in the Super Bowl. <laughs> you absolutely should be, and we're definitely going to get more about uh, the Chiefs here in a second. But I just want to know, can you fact check me? Did I get that right? Is that three fumble recoveries you've had? You know what? That's a, that's a stat that I really have never even followed. I have no idea how many I recovered. I remember only one fumble recovery, and that was against the Detroit Lions. And and I picked it up and hit a spin move on some D back, and uh, of course they blew it dead. And uh, he didn't touch me. Yeah, so I I was a quarterback all through school and high school and junior high, and and so I had a little bit of little bit of moves in me still. Leave it to the refs to screw it up, you know. Yeah, yeah. How about that, man? I'm sure there's like a YouTube highlight reel somewhere of that. I don't know. The only highlight that day, I believe, was uh, 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 Barry Sanders running all over us like, you know, Grease Lightning. Well, that happens to everybody. <laughs> it did back then. It did on that day. That was, a, that was a Thanksgiving Day special for everybody. Well, for people who don't know who you are, you know, you played a long time in the NFL. I, I believe you, you came out in the late 80s, maybe around 1988. And yep. you, went, you went to uh, Graceland University, which I had to I had to Google. And as far as I got, I know you were a yellow jacket there. So really, I guess yeah. just kind of tell the audience listening, you know, a little bit about kind of your upbringing, you know, coming out of Iowa, you know, wh- how you ended up, you know, getting into football mm-hmm. and, and ultimately sure. how you got to the NFL. So l- let me hear a little bit about this backstory. Sure. Uh, uh, grew up in a faith-based family in Iowa. Um, my father had passed away at an early age. My mother raised three boys in a small town of about 300 people, uh, or maybe a little less than that now, probably about a hundred people. It's called Cerebro, Iowa. And, uh, just went through school. I was, uh, I, I played all the sports that I could play. 
our school was very small. I think I graduated with like 50 kids in my class. Wow. And um, I played quarterback. Uh, I was an all-state quarterback in the state of Iowa, uh, all-state uh, defensive lineman, and I punted some. And I basically went through, you know, uh, my freshman to my senior year playing football. Wrestled. I was a uh, I was ranked fourth in the state. I was a wrestler at 185 pounds. Uh, played some baseball. Ran track just to just to be on the bus with the girls. Really, I wasn't a very good runner. <laughs> so. I'm almost more impressed of the fact that you were a top five wrestler in Iowa because I think they grow uh, wrestlers out there. Yeah, you know, I was terrible up until my junior year. Um, as a matter of fact, there's in mo- a lot of gyms there in Iowa, there's uh, a sign on a lot of the gym ceilings that says, if you're reading this, you're being pinned. And that was me. I was, <laughs> I was reading that sign a lot. Um, but just as, you know, I, I matured and I got a little confidence. I was a pretty good basketball player at my high. I was six foot seven. I was 185 pounds. I was the tallest kid in the, in the, in the state uh, high school wrestling tournament for two years. And, um, it just, it was just an off, I was awkward, but it was awkward for, to wrestle me as well. Uh, but it, what, it was just a great sport. And I, you know, I coach in football now here at Brunswick high school. Uh, which is a prep school here in Greenwich, Connecticut, and I'm offense defensive line coach. And I always encourage my guys to get out for wrestling. I think it's a great sport, uh, probably the toughest sport that I ever participated in, including my professional career. Uh, just with the mental discipline and the physicalness of it, um, you know, there's nobody out there but yourself. And like I said, if you're not very good, it shows up real quick. You know, you don't have a team behind you to to cover some of your mistakes. Um, yeah, but anyway, so I, I wrestled and, uh, from there I, I was recruited by a lot of the, uh, Iowa, uh, schools, including Iowa, Iowa state, none of which really knew what they were going to do with me. Uh, they knew they, I was athletic, but I didn't, I don't think that they felt like I was going to be, you know, the quarterback of their future or, or what they were going to do. So, um, I felt like they were going to redshirt me if anything. And I really wanted to play football. My older brother had uh, started. He's a year older than I am. He had started playing down in Graceland. And I went down on a recruiting trip. I felt like I was going to be able to play right away there, as maybe a tight end or some specialty uh, player. And when I, so I went ahead and signed uh, with Graceland and basically got down there, uh, got hurt right away wasn't going to play. And as I recovered, it was like the first game of the season that, uh, a bunch of guys started getting hurt on the offensive line. Uh, I mean like a record number. And even though I was a little undersized, I, was, I had the height, uh, I had the grit, uh, but I didn't really have the strength to play uh, collegiate football as offensive lineman. Uh, but they threw me in there anyway. I, they, they knew that I wanted to play. So, I went out and played left tackle as all the other guys had went down. And from that point on, I just developed into a pretty good offensive lineman. So, so and, at, this point, uh, at this point, when they put you in an offensive lineman, you was 185 in high school. How much was you weighing at this time? Yeah, I'm dying. So I was, I was probably about, uh, I think I, I came in at 218 pounds. Um, you know, I was only bench pressing maybe 285, 300 pounds, maybe. You, you said you were six, um, seven. So that's not, you're not real thick then. You know, you're, you're kind of, I, I, I wasn't at that time. I wasn't at that time. I mean, when I, 
by the time it all was said and done, I was 305 pounds, uh, you know, with 10% body fat in the National Football League, you know. So I really grew into myself uh, later on. But, you know, I've been, I've, I've, I've been, you know, from the time that, you know, from the time at my high school, uh, we didn't have a weight room per se. We had a universal weight set and that's kind of was our weights. We had a few free weights. So when I got to Graceland, they had somewhat of a weight room and I was a gym rat. I stayed in the gym all the time. Uh, I worked out when no one else would. Uh, I was always in the gym. I, and I even did that when I got into the pros, you know, I was, you go back to Iowa, uh, to visit and stuff. A lot of these small towns, they don't have gyms or anywhere. So I would go out in garage and I'd find buckets filling up with water. And, you know, I would improvise all, all the time. I did that, uh, in the pros, especially when I had to go back and when I was visiting my, my mother and stuff, so there's just no gyms around there. So anyway, um, like I said, I, 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 uh, worked out, I think by the time my senior year, I was an all American, but I was only probably weighing about 260. And I had some, some, uh, of the scouts in the regional area, like the chiefs, the Vikings and, and, uh, maybe green Bay and a couple others that came through kind of a general scouting trip. Uh, they'd get a height, weight and, uh, you know, time in a 40 or whatever. And the 1986 season came around and I wasn't, I wasn't drafted in the national football league, but I was drafted in the USFL in the 10th round. And they went under that year. Uh, so I didn't really have an opportunity and I had an agent that got me a, uh, a tryout up in Canada in 86 and I went up there and they cut me in two weeks. So I basically played up there. I think, I think my, I've made $3 an hour. Um, yeah, no kidding. Uh, $3 Canadian dollars, three Canadian dollars an hour. And I think my check was $27 at the end of the week something like that. It was crazy. Nice. And of course I didn't even know it until I got the check and go $27 Hell, back then the gas up there was $4 a gallon. It was $3 for a beer. <laughs> it was just it was like, it was unbelievable. So they cut me and it was with the Montreal Alouettes. And I went back to, uh, Iowa. I got in my car and my U-Haul and I went out and moved to California to stay with a friend of mine. I figured, well, you know what? If football's not in the cards, I'm going to live where the, the where there's beaches, girls, and and a good time. You know, right. <laughs> that's where I, that's where I was headed. So I did that, and I maintained this agent I had. He, I think I was his only guy, and out there, and he was out there in Orange County, California. I end up I end up in Newport, California, um, and I just stayed in shape. And thank God I did because in 1987 came around and they had the strike. And I was a replacement player. So they were pulling guys in off the street. Um, I had already been out of football a year and a, about a year and a half or so. I think that was in October when it, when it came on. And I was in pretty good shape. Uh, I think I weighed about, you know, two, 280 or something like that. And uh, I got picked up by the Colts. So what, so what was that like being a replacement player, though, like having to, well, to come in during you know, the you were, we were We were called scabs, you know. So that was, you can imagine from that name. <laughs> how you were treated as a matter of fact um I- indiana or indianapolis uh being having a large uh, uh, uh union uh there the flcio uh group sure. they came out in full force to support the players 
and they, you know, they, the players were pretty mild, but that group, boy, they were hardened criminals. You know, I mean, they came out and <laughs> they were throwing rocks and we had bomb threats and we had dogs in the, we had bomb dogs uh, attached to the hip all times. I mean, they were throwing rocks at our buses and it was, uh, it was a little tricky, you know, and for the guys who, who, uh, who team that had been hurt, you know, they had to stay there and get treatment. It was part of their, part of the thing they had to do. So they had to cross the line and then a couple of other guys crossed the line. And, and, um, you know, I think we had three or four guys, including, uh, uh, Hogaboom, uh, Gary Hogaboom, which was a quarterback for the Colts at the time, he crossed the line. So we had a quarterback. We ended up winning, uh, three out of four games. Um, no, three, uh, two, out, two, no, three, out of, yeah, three out of four games. And, um, we did pretty well. So that ended for me. They released me and I got picked up for the next season with the Jets. And that's how I got to the New York Jets. Um, but Grace this, is, this a, is what 1989. Whenever you you signed with the this Jets. was in 1988, I got picked up by the okay. Jets. Okay. So you know the chronological book of it all is, is you know small school, small school, uh, no draft, jumped right into playing the National Football League. I'd never been on AstroTurf before. Um, never been in front of a crowd more than probably two or three hundred, you know, <laughs> in my lifetime. And all of a sudden, here I was, you know, and I was a starting right guard for the Indianapolis Colts and, and having a great time and, and got a lot of experience. And even though I didn't have uh, the, the college coaching that, you know, all these other guys that were there did, um, I, I, I always you know, I attribute my success a lot of times to just being a high IQ football player. You know, you only had to tell me one time. Uh, of course, I made mistakes, but, you know, as far as the skillful things, uh, the technical things, uh, you know, understanding the concepts and the plays, I picked that up right away. And, you know, I attribute that to me making the team with the Jets even um, because in 1988, they were still bringing in uh, as many guys as they wanted to. There wasn't a, there wasn't a, a free agency at that time. So I think they brought in 145 guys to camp in 1988, I think in the offensive line, I think we were like, uh, I want to say we had 15 or 16 guys trying out, uh, plus the five starters that were already there. So it was, but again, you know, I just, I was just, whenever I got my opportunity, I got in there and, and I played, I played well and they, they saw that I could play and they saw that I had some skill and they wanted me to, uh, compete, uh, and kind of spur on, their starting left guard, his name is Mike Haight. He was a first-round pick from the University of Iowa with the Jets. And um, and I did. And so he and I rotated in. I played well. He played pretty well. And that's uh, – I made the team that year. That, and that See, I told you Iowa grows I'm offensive linemen. You just went and found another one on the Jets that, that quick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, offensive linemen, and uh, from what I understand, uh, they, they have kind of a tight end factory there at the University of Iowa. Oh, uh, they you do, know. they do. I think one of them is playing in the Super Bowl too. That's right, that's right. He 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 is he's he's phenomenal. So let me I'd ask take you, Kelsey over him any day. Well, you have to because you know we're going to get to the Chiefs uh, kingdom here in a minute. But you know, so uh-huh. you played on the the Jets for uh, it looks like six seasons. Now, overall, 
You you started over a hundred games as an NFL offensive lineman. So when did you kind of fall into the starting rotation for the Jets, and and you know kind of how did that so, go from there? Yeah, um, so I was I made it as a, as backing up for the guard tackle. Um, I was the first guy in. Somebody got hurt, and sure enough, the first round pick who was a good close friend of mine, Dave Cadigan from the University of uh, Southern California. Um, he was like the four after the fourth game or in practice, he hurt his, his left foot tore it up. It was like an arch, uh, uh, problem, tendon problem in his arch. It was a pretty severe thing. And they said, okay, well, you're going to have to start left tackle. So I said, oh shit. Oh. I said, I don't know what, what I got to do. What, you know, um, cause I, the week before I was standing on the sidelines up in new England, it was like, we were getting killed 35 to, I don't know, 14 or something. It was not quite uh, snowing. It was sleeting, and that was the old field up there. And and uh, 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 what was the name of that field back then? Soldier Field? No, that, that's that's Chicago. Chicago. So that's uh, his old Foxborough. Uh, it, it was Foxborough Stadium. I forget what they called it back then. Anyway, it had the old carpet astroturf, and all the water drained off on the on the uh, 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 guest side. So we were standing in water, frozen water. Uh, just getting killed. And I remember uh, our right tackle went down and and two minutes to go in the game, I was frozen solid and had to run in um, Andre Tippett. But I don't know if you remember that name at all. He was an all pro uh, outside linebacker uh, for many, many years with new England. And I remember him come off the line. He hit me with a karate chop on my arm. And I thought my arm (laughs) fell off. Yeah, I'm not kidding you. It was something. And I thought, oh, my God, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to get somebody killed here besides myself. And, you know, just with God's luck, I, I made it through with, for two minutes and got out of there. And so now I'm the starter. And we were playing uh, uh, kind of a, 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 against the uh, Detroit Lions. It was my first start. Uh, fifth game of the year, I think it was. Fourth or fifth game of the year uh, in 88. And... You know, I I thought I was going to have a great game. Uh, the guy that I was playing against, you know, that you know he was good, but he wasn't great. Um, but I remember coming off of that game, and I mean, I had fallen on the ground. I mean, that's that's kind of a sign of offensive lineman is, is you try to stay on your feet as much as you can. And, and back then, the astroturf was terrible. You know, it was like uh, sandpaper. And I remember having carpet burns all over my elbows and knees. Cause I think I gave up a a holding penalty. You know, we won the game, but I didn't have a stellar game, that's for sure. And then that brought us into the next week, and that was uh, Monday Night Football and against the Buffalo Bills. And, of course, you know who was on my side, Bruce Smith. I was like, oh, God, <laughs> That Bruce already Smith. sounds fantastic. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, man, I'm going to tell you what. He, he, was, he, was like, he was like Superman without the cape. You know, that particular year, he had already, <laughs> in like six, five games or whatever, he already had like eight sacks. You know, and he was killing guys that had been in the league forever. And uh, long story short to that, about uh, at halftime, we were down, I don't know, 30 to 6 or something. <laughs> they were just pinning their ears back. I had already given up two sacks, a holding penalty, and offsides. And I was ready to quit. I mean, by halftime, I was ready to come in and go, you know what, Joe Walton was a coach. And I always tell people this, you know, this story, it it was a make or break moment for me because he came up to me, Joe Walton did head coach. 
And he just sat me down. He said, look, man, I know you're having a rough time. I can put somebody else in there uh, and I'll do it. But he said this, we want you to be the guy, you know, to stay out there and to fight through it. Uh, show your team that you're in this to, you know, for the long haul. Um, but if you don't want to, you know, we'll, I'll definitely put somebody else in there. So, you know, and, and you know, I probably wouldn't have pulled myself out, but I was sure thinking it and, uh, went back out. Oh, I don't even remember what the score was. All I remember is that by the end of the year, Bruce Smith was making commercials and I was part of the highlight film <laughs> that he was using on his commercials. Bad things, so, man, bad things. <laughs> yeah, that's it. You, you remember it, right? That, that, I was on that commercial. Oh. I think he, uh, perfected the spin move on me. Oh, so. that's awesome. So that's when I got my, my first real start. But I'll tell you what, uh, after that, I got better. The team got better. Um, we ended up finishing up that season um, in 1988, uh, beating the Giants, keeping them out of the playoffs. And, uh, um, you know, I think I think my salary was uh, like 80 grand or something like that. And it earned me the right not only to be a starting left tackle when Cadigan came back, he went to left guard. Uh, they released Mike eight and, um, you know, I stayed there for seven years. I mean, I left in 94. So I, I played, uh, I, I don't know how many games I started there. Um, but it's probably close to a hundred. And then I ended up, you know, going to the chiefs, the free agent in, in 95 and, and, uh, had a you know great career there as well. So you so you wrapped up your career with the Chiefs. So so tell me what it was like after playing all those years in New York, then going out to the middle of the country, closer well, to, there, closer there, to home, you know. But but you know you're in Kansas yeah. City, and and you didn't get a chance to play with Montana, did you? He's just retired, right? No, no, I missed him by a year. Played against him a couple times, and he always kicked our ass. Um, but I didn't get a chance to play with him. I wish I would have. Uh, that was. Uh, uh, that's that year they went to 94, they went to the AFC championship game and got beat, uh, out there. And I think it was out, it was in Denver. They got beat or Houston. I forget which one it was. Um, anyway, they got beat. Um, and he, he retired. I had, uh, so I, when I got there, but the, the kind of the backstory was, um, I had, uh, a pretty high profile agent up until, um, uh, I got there. And I just realized, you know, by as a free agent, the way things were working with salary cap, and I kind of had a good understanding of all that, that I really didn't need an agent uh, to to uh, you know represent me. And so I did not uh, pursue getting an agent. I was the first uh, first uh, starting, you know, offensive lineman or, or really football player of my caliber. Um, that uh, represented themselves in a high, you know, a multi-million dollar contract. And uh, so I did pretty well for myself, you know, and, and went to the chiefs. Yeah, you're right. It was right there in my backyard. Graceland has, uh, uh, you know, there's a strong influence of, of people from Kansas city that go to Graceland. So I had a lot of friends that lived there. My mother got to see every home game uh, for the next four years. She would come down and, and, uh, and watch me, you know, she was my number one fan forever. So that was all great. Plus the fact that, you know, I've been on losing teams for so long with the New York jets that it, it was just time to leave. You know, I mean, uh, you, after a while, you know, you, you become, if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. And, 
you know, I was getting nicked up out there with the media and, and all this kind of stuff. I said, well, I just need to move. So, you know, they, they, they wanted to, they, the Jets wanted me to, uh, to go out and see, you know, who was interested in it without pursuing me, uh, like they, like they should have. And I gave them one opportunity. Once Kansas city made me an offer, they didn't return my phone call. I jumped on a plane, Kansas city and signed with them. Uh, you know, um, I signed with them uh, in California. Where I was living there. I just signed with them over the phone and w- went out there and checked it out. And there I was. All right. So we, we get a, a few more years in Kansas city and, and then your career kind of wraps up. So a uh, couple couple rapid fire questions coming up, but before I get to that, when did you decide it was kind of an, uh, you know, the right time to call it a career? You know, what, what made you finally say, you know what, let's go ahead and retire. So, you know, over the years I had been getting kind of nicked up body wise, um, the wear and tear on my body, um, you know, from, uh, it's, uh, I think it was a 98. I, uh, tore my rectal pectoral muscle, completely off of the bone, um, had a chronic, uh, kind of a ongoing knee problem, uh, that would reoccur. I mean, just, just the wear and tear, the overall wear and tear of the, of the game. I had taken a toll on me and, and my, uh, particularly my left foot, I had, a, I started having a problem with uh, severe plantar fascia tendonitis in my left foot, um, to where I was having to take, uh, toward all injections in my foot every game. Uh, just to play. And quite frankly, I, I couldn't play at the, at the caliber of, that I used to play at. Uh, I didn't feel I was even very dependable. I'd be in a series, out of series, in a series. It was just a nightmare at times. And, and uh, I just felt like it was time. You know, I'd played a lot of games. I think I started 141 games or 49 games or something like that. And, and I played in over 170 games. So, you know, I, I you know, probably could have stuck it out another year or two. Um, I was on the expansion draft, to Cleveland Browns, when they had that in 98. Uh, and I think they took me, so I probably would have had to go to the Cleveland Browns, which was an expansion team at that time. And I really didn't feel like starting over, you know. So <laughs> I can understand time. that. We don't blame you going to Cleveland, man. They're still starting over. <laughs> Yeah, and it's kind of been that way for them, you know, ever since that. They've never really put anything together, you know. Uh, we played. I played against Cleveland when before they had left, you know, uh, in many, many times. And uh, they were good. I mean, you know, they had uh, – Benny Testaverde was there and a whole handful of others, you know, that uh, were really good. The team was good. They had good defenses. Um, but when that all ended for them and they had to start over – taking them this long just to start getting the hype up again, you know? <laughs> All right. So before we get into some talk about the Super Bowl, let me ask you a couple questions. Just give me a quick answer here. So what, yeah. what's, what's the worst injury you ever had? Well, let's see. Um, you know, that pectoral muscle I tore in the playoff game in, uh, against Denver in 98. Ouch. And I probably would have missed the rest of the season with that injury. Uh, being that it was the end of the season anyway, and we didn't beat them, uh, I had the whole off season to recover. But that was that was a pretty serious injury, you know. And and uh, you know the the long term repercussions of playing in the National Football League at any position, uh, you know, can just tear you up. I mean, even even guys in college, you know, as far as that goes, 
So, you know, I, I've been through the, the concussion protocol stuff and, uh, you know, so far so good. You know, I still can wake up in the morning and remember everybody in the room. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's good. <laughs> yeah. All right, all right. Who's the toughest guy you ever had to block? Well, he might you know, have. I, don't I know. think he's, I think he's the toughest guy. Almost everybody had to block, and that was Bruce Smith. Um, right, you know, on a regular give, can basis. Can you give me a close second? Then, or is there anybody else that's in the wheelhouse? Because I think Bruce Smith. We already heard how he almost made you stop. Playing yeah, football, no, so. and that, that was just an ongoing battle. But I got to say about Bruce Smith, you know, is that uh, in my early years he kind of handed it to me. But by the end of my career the you know eight or nine times that i played him after he you know he had a lot of respect for me i'm sure and he didn't get anything on me you know he used to get about two sacks a game but you know i played against all of lawrence taylor uh played against him several times even though he's in the nfc michael strahan played against him um uh, he was a rookie uh i think he was probably he probably when i first played against him on a uh a halloween night and, uh, you know, he didn't get much on me then, but, uh, Derek Thomas, you know, played against him. Um, Lawrence Taylor, I told you, uh, Andre Tippett, I mentioned, and there's probably a whole handful of other guys, you know, uh, Leslie O'Neill, he's probably the guy that second guy that gave me the most fits over, over the course of my career. Yeah. All right. So life after football. Tell everybody what you, you kind of got into. So you ended up your career uh, in Kansas City. You walked away from the game. Now what? So I had a couple uh, uh, small business ventures that I was involved in and, uh, you know, got involved in them, got out of them, kind of bought and sold commercial real estate, uh, Became uh, did a, a short step back out in California where I'd been living off and on over the years and uh, became the president of a publicly traded marketing company, and then it was acquired. Uh, basically, had work for myself, private consulting, and some finance stuff, and then uh, finally got out here to to Greenwich, where I live now. And I got uh, basically I got really into real estate, uh, so I'm a realtor, uh, both commercial and uh, residential real estate for in Connecticut, and uh, some commercial stuff. I kind of do wherever wherever it takes me, all over the place. Uh, looking for uh, good investment opportunities in, in real estate development. Well, you know what? From all the horror stories we hear about people with small business ventures in the NFL, sounds like you're doing all right for yourself. Yeah, you know, you win some and you lose some. You know, the the, the thing that hurts you the worst is the divorce. <laughs> so, you know, that's, that's the thing that hurts you the worst. Those are always expensive. Yeah. Yep. Um, but if you can make it through that, you know, and you come out, like I said, you know, for a lot of players, uh, uh, and I had my struggles at times, you know, but for a lot of guys, there used to be some statistics out, you know, that 60% of the players after four years in the league were broke. And I think that statistic probably has gone down a little bit only because the average salary and the average contract, especially for a starting player or a person who's who is, you know, playing is a lot higher than what it was. I think uh, I ended up with an $8 million four-year contract at my position as a starting left tackle uh, in the National Football League. And now the same guy in my position at my caliber, he's making somewhere between 8 and $10 million a year, you know. Yeah, that's, so, uh, times have changed, that's for sure. But, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't excuse things. I, I watched that 30 for 30 called Broke, and they were showing guys who were former All-Pros 
here they are after they retired and they're living in their mom's basement. So, you know, it, it's still treacherous. The more money you have, the more you spend. Yeah. My mom told me a long time ago, when I got my first paycheck. She said, Jeff, it's better than have uh, never made money than made money and lost it, you know? And she's, she didn't even really know what she was talking about, but uh, she was right. You know, she was right. All right, so let's get into the big game. We, you know, since you're a former chief, you know, Chiefs Kingdom, they're all going crazy right now. So I, I feel like I kind of know what you're probably going to say. But before I ask that, what you got, Mr. Brown? I was just going to say I'm a huge Braves fan, so I appreciate the fact you're guy, you guys are still allowed to do the chop, and I'm not. So I'm a little <laughs> jealous. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, I don't know if you guys know the story behind how Kansas City got their name and uh, the actual Chiefs name. Um, a lot of people think that it had something to do related to, you know, some native American Indian tribe and, and this kind of thing. And, and it actually isn't, uh, they adopted that chop, uh, uh, well after, uh, they were named the chiefs and then they brought in that war horse paint and they kind of developed into this native American theme. But, uh, there was a mayor there back in, uh, back in the early sixties. Uh, I forget his first name, but his last name is Bartles. And they actually have the Bartles uh, Center there, the convention center. And it, it, his nickname was Chief. So they uh, they had a poll uh, when Lamar Hunt came to Kansas City. They uh, sent out a, uh, a citywide poll where people could vote on several names. And it got down to the Kansas City Mules, or they were going to name him after the, the mayor, the Chief. Uh, so they called the Kansas City Chiefs, and of course they picked the Kansas City Chiefs. Thank God, because <laughs> otherwise we would be called the Jules. Yeah, we already had one of those in the league, and that was the Denver Broncos. We called them <laughs> the, Mule, or the, uh, the donkeys. Oh, that's a Chiefs burn <laughs> of the Broncos, everybody. That was our name for them. As a Raiders fan, I can uh, we can come together on that one, okay? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, the Raider, we had Raider Haters Week with Marty, you know. Yeah, yeah. He, was, uh, he was something else. I actually he hated them Raiders. Ra- I wore my Raiders hoodie and my hat for you because I thought we was going to do the video, but uh, I'm just letting you know that's what I'm wearing. But don't, don't hate me for oh, that. Oh, okay. Well, no, I, I can respect that. You know, it's like people ask me, Jeff, do you, you follow the Giants at all? Like, you know, because I played with the Jets all those years. I said, well, you know, yeah, I, 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 I kind of have a, several different teams. I, I'm, I'm a fan of certain guys, you know, I'm a fan of certain coaches. And I'm a fan of certain teams, you know, and, and I'm a fan of the game. You know, I like to sit back and watch a good game. I don't watch a lot of college football, but I do some. And, you know, if guys are playing at a high level, I kind of like to watch it, you know. Sloppy football doesn't interest me at all. But All right, so we're, we're talking about the best of the best here, so I assume you're still following the Chiefs. What's your, oh, yeah. What's your prediction on how the Super Bowl is going to play out? Tell, tell me what to expect come Super Bowl Sunday. And ultimately, who do you think walks away with the Super Bowl MVP? Well, I'm going to kind of stay in the same storyline as, as all the other guys that are out there predicting right now that uh, this is going to be a great matchup. And that uh, Patrick Mahomes and uh, you know Garoppolo, although two different style quarterbacks, are really kind of a good match. And, and they marry the teams that they play for very well, you know. They compliment their teams, the coaches. The so you know, I would say across the board, I would give uh, 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 just because of his age, tenure, uh, and his staff, I would give the Chiefs uh, that uh, grade. 
Um, if you broke it down, offense and defense, I think the, the Chiefs have a better offense. But I do think that the Niners probably have a better overall defense. Uh, they play faster, harder. You know, they get a lot of sacks. They create a lot of pressure on the quarterback. And I think that would be, if I'd say, the one nemesis of the game that, that could maybe maybe be a difference maker to slow Patrick Mahomes down would be if they got uh, their pass rush going. Um, I got to give credit, though, to the offensive line for the Chiefs because they've been playing lights out. Uh, and we've got a quarterback that's mobile. He's not very fast, but I'll tell you what, he, he shows you game in and game out that he can make first downs with his feet. And in this last game, a touchdown, for crying out loud. So um, I, I kind of give that. And the special teams, I'm going to give it to the Chiefs. And kind of because I broke it down that way, I'm going to say overall, I say the Chiefs are going to win, and, and I try to keep my own bias out of it. I want the Chiefs to win. But analytically, I'd say that the, the Chiefs probably have a better club. And uh, I don't want to really give a prediction, and I'll tell you why. I'm I'm the worst better on football that you'll ever see. If I say very good either, so don't feel bad. Oh my God! The only time I ever bet on football, and I was out of football when I did it. I was up in Reno, Nevada, at at a at a uh, casino, and the the Super Bowl day. I was leaving. I was on a business trip up there. I was leaving. I placed a bet. I forget. I think it's a fifty dollar bet. Um, and by the time I got home, I had won, and it was just a score in the Super Bowl. Uh, who was going to win? I won 150 bucks, and I was hooting and hollering that I finally won something. And you know what happened? I lost the damn ticket, so I couldn't. <laughs> well, that, that's a different definition of not being a very good better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm a I'm a winner and a loser at it. So that was the last time I bet on football. You know, don't even want to say. Well, I, I agree with you on the Chiefs. I think they're the better overall team. Um, their defense is better against the pass and the run. However, we realized against the Packers that the uh, Niners, they they imposed their will on the ground game. Garoppolo only threw eight times because that's all he had to throw. So are you worried at all that the Chiefs can't stop the run? Are the Niners going to continue to run over them like they did the Packers? Well, first of all, just go back to last week with the Titans, the number one rushing offense in the league they were controlling every team that they played uh with their ground game uh the number one running back in the league with henry um and quite frankly the the chiefs i saw a statistic today uh they're the number one defense gets uh gets a run in the in uh the national football league the last five games so i'm gonna have to say that on a, on an even field again, you know, where, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of Chiefs fans down there. Let me tell you, I mean, it's going to be red city down there, you know, with both teams being red, but there's, there's a lot of be a lot of chief fans there. 50 years of having a dry spell. Uh, there's going to be a lot of, a lot of Chiefs down there. May, may never see it again. You know, we hope we do. But with that said, it's going to be like a home game down there. for them. No, it's and de- it's definitely going to be insane because we, we did several polls about, not who you think's going to win, but who, who are you rooting for to win? And I'll say right. this: the Chiefs fans doubled the Niners fans, and it—I mean, it was—it was all day long. Yeah, well, I'll tell you up here in the Northeast, where everybody's a Patriot and Tom Brady fan, the ones who aren't because the Chiefs knocked them or beat them and knocked them out, uh, or, or beat them in the, during during the season, and uh, kind of put them in their place. Um, they're, they're all for the Chiefs. You know, everybody's for the Chiefs up here. So, or at least that's what I would like to me. see Andy uh, Reid get one. That that would make me happy. 
Yep. Yep. I, well, you know what? It's it's there's so much. Uh, the 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 league is is so uh, is so so much more even than it used to be. I mean, I look at like the north the, the NFC East, uh, where you know guys the teams are coming in with with eight and eight records. Uh, you know, getting into the playoffs um, with eight and eight eight and eight seasons. That's kind of what it used to be in Green Bay's uh, division, where they were, uh, or their conference, where they were, they were uh, a black and blue conference for many, many years, and now it's kind of switched over to to uh, the Eagles and and Dallas Cowboys. Hey, I appreciate the I appreciate the analogy, but I would disagree. I think the NFC was East wasn't very good this year. <laughs> They had their moments. So look, you, you trying to tell me that that the, the Dallas Cowboys aren't very good? I think they're really good. I think, you know, I, think I think they just, should be. I think they have the talent. I think uh, yeah, they just they just you know what they were good when they started the year. I'll say that. Yeah, they had a they had a great defense. I mean, again, they just had a lot of competition there in their own division, and and uh, it, it was a tough one. Where it looks like San Francisco could keep uh, this run alive, uh, you know, uh, the Rams are definitely always somebody that you got to contend with. That you never know what team's going to show up week in, week out, and that's one thing about the Chiefs this year. If you could get by the first quarter and not have a heart attack, and if, you know, from them being, you know, being down twenty-four nothing or ten nothing. Um, you know, if you get by that first quarter with them and, and in some cases the half, uh, you know, they're going to be within seven going into the fourth quarter because yeah, that's you, what it's been all year score, round. When you can score 51 points, I guess being down 24, sure. nothing ain't a big deal. <laughs> sure. You no, know, that's what every team in the league wants to, by the way, is a quarterback that can bring you back. I mean, it's great when you're winning and you got a running game and, and you're ahead every game. I mean, that's, that's a no brainer, but you, you know, you have something special when you've got a guy like that, that can bring you back. You know, from being that that big of a deficit. I think the league's um, that, starting to go full circle, though. You look at all these teams that are like run heavy, like the Niners in the playoffs. You saw the Ravens, the the Titans. You know, the NFL kind of goes in cycles. I wonder if we're getting back to more of a a run first type of a style here going forward. Yeah, I don't know. Um, you know, I think sometimes the defense predicates that. You know, it used to be all these defensive head coaches were in the league, right, Buddy Ryan. Uh, Marty Schottenheimer. I mean, you can go up and down the list of, of the head coaches were all defensive-minded guys. And now you're kind of seeing offensive-minded guys, you know, that are head coaches. So you're right. It does kind of shift. And and uh, right now we're seeing – and then the rules are shifting, right? I mean, the rules are much more favorable for the offense and, and scoring more points. Oh, absolutely. Than it ever used to be. That's like Marino said the other day. He said, God, he said, I'd throw for 60,000 yards if the rules have been what they are now. I, you know? I I agree with him on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and but here's the other thing too. And you watch, you know, the quarterbacks now not only can they move like and get out of the pocket, yeah, that but they get ball, they get rid of the ball in two seconds. I mean, when I played, I played with a lot of pocket quarterbacks. That bless their heart. I mean, it was just in the diagram of the play. You know, they'd hold that ball for five seconds. You had to block a lot longer back in my day than you have to block now. You know. Now you got to get in front of them. You still got to do your job, and there's a lot of great offensive linemen not trying to take it away from them. But these quarterbacks are getting rid of the ball in two seconds, you know. And I never played with a quarterback. Rich Gannon was the closest guy. Uh, and Boomer Sison had his moments, 
where where he was on and he was getting rid of the ball that quickly. But uh, Rich Gannon was a mobile quarterback for us when he played with the Chiefs before he went to the Raiders um, and uh, and did his thing out there. It was great to play with Rich. He got rid of the ball. He moved. He could. He was just a that that was the kind of quarterback you want to play for. And you see a lot of those kind of quarterbacks in the National Football League right now. I definitely agree with that. But, you know, Jeff, I think we're going to wrap up, brother. Just uh, any any parting words you want okay. to give to Chief Kingdom just to let him know uh, what to expect on the Super Bowl, what you're thinking, you want to share your support? Hey, you know, it's all good, man. You know, there's a lot of love out there for, for, for the Chiefs right now. I just hope it carries over. And, uh, you know, we all come together as one and, and make it happen. It would be a great thing. And I appreciate you guys for having me on on tonight. And uh, looking forward to hearing on the air. All right, Jeff, we thank you so much, man. And uh, we'll talk to you later, all right? All right, guys. Have a good one. Thanks again. I appreciate it. We definitely appreciate it, Jeff Chriswell, joining us for that interview. Definitely a fun conversation. And as as far as he's concerned, go Chiefs. Don't forget, next week we're going to have Dave Stevens. Dave Stevens is a reporter, but also a former athlete. He works for the Disability Channel. Uh, find him on Facebook, find him on social media. This guy is fantastic. He is everywhere. I don't know if he got, if he has frequent flyer mouths or whatever's going on, but he's at the Super Bowl. He was going to do the show this week, but he was actually in, uh, in route for the Super Bowl. So we're looking to hear all of the fun stories that he's got and also let him tell a little bit of his uh, personal story as well. But this guy is truly an inspiration. So find him on social media, check him out. So that way you can get a little familiar with him before we talk to him. I'm telling you, this guy is amazing. Dave Stevens. We'll have him next week, but that wraps us up for this week. Enjoy the Super Bowl, everybody. And we'll be back bright eyed and bushy tailed next week. This has been the, we don't know sports podcast. Thank you.